everyone good evening uh please if you can hear me uh, indicates by a show of an emoji or something so i can be sure i'm audible thank you Isa. all right let's kick it off hi alan good evening everyone and welcome all right so tonight uh, we'll be having the very first twitter space of the year uh, brought to you by Aya Gigs. Um, our spaces usually encompass discussions around Web3, career development, uh, blockchain, and um, freelancing, the gig economy, and all of that, all to help us grow and um, basically build ourselves in the space. So uh, tonight we'll be having two wonderful speakers, two amazing speakers. But before we go into the speakers, uh, let me introduce the uh, hosts of tonight. Um, Larry is the content and creative lead. He's a creative lead for Aya Gigs. Um, hi, Larry. Hi, Scarlett. Hi, everyone. Once again, um, I want to apologize for starting a bit late. We had some connection issues. Um, Scarlett and I were just talking about it, that it's, this can't be just network. Um, I think that there are some things that may be fundamentally wrong with some Twitter space setup. Um, but thank God we're here, and um, I'm excited to, um, to, to, to a new year, and i um, excited to have two amazing speakers talking to us about how to build an awesome Web3 product. Welcome, guys. Scarlett. Thank you very much. Uh, let's move on to our speakers. The first is Aise. Uh, you would have to correct me if uh, I got the pronunciation wrong. Uh, he is a senior product designer for Valists, and he'll be sharing more on that um, as we progress. Our second speaker is... His name is uh, Wisdom Augustine, but he's popularly known as Groots. And he also explain why he chose Groots to us <laughs> as we progress. Um, Groots is the senior product designer for Big Tree Finance. Um, welcome to our speakers. And um, we'll be starting with Aise. Um, hi, Aise. Please. Um, let me know if you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. Um, please introduce yourself. Give us a brief introduction of yourself. And tell us the core idea behind Web3. It's, it's still a buzzword until now. But we would like to know what exactly is the idea behind Web3. Mm, okay, um, so that's practically two questions in one, and I'll try to be as brief as possible. So, um, okay, so my name is Aise. Um, I said that I'm senior product designer at Valist, creative director at Valist, actually. So, um, a, I have my foundation in user experience design, the micro masters in user experience design. Um, kind of have been in the design space, in the tech space now for roughly six years. Started off from being a front-end engineer, transitioned to being a back-end engineer, working with Python and Noxt before finding my balance roughly over three years ago now in design, where I kind of settled down and stayed in Web3 for over two years now. Um, practically dabbled around a lot of Web3 products from different companies ranging from DAOs to DEXs to indexes to options to betting platforms to and that's where I found myself in Ballast, in which it's a product that kind of helps distribute like your protocols and games really on decentralized manner. People kind of talk about how you have Web3 and Web3 is decentralized, but a lot of them actually host on centralized platforms. What happens is that you get to have products that are providing 
decentralized services but can be taken down at any moment so if you can be taken down then you are technically a web3 platform but you are not fully decentralized you are still being supported by a centralized entity and that's what i'm trying to do here at ballast and i think that should answer the first question so i don't get to like do a lot of explanation and go deep down into who i am but if there is more time i think i can do that within as the call proceeds um so the word web3 now this word has been asked a lot now it's something that a lot of people have issues with trying to understand the major reason is because of the noise now there is a lot of clamor there's a lot of noise there's a lot of people trying to be very technical about it there's a lot of people who don't know anything about it but trying to sound smart and in the quote of trying to sound smart they tend to sway other people from actually the foundation of what web3 is all about now in the most plain and on smart possible manner because I try to understand things and explain things in such a way that my parents can actually get the gist. And trust me, if you speak to my mom, you will know that even getting her to use WhatsApp was a problem. So bringing the most simple explanation to what Web3 is, Web3 is the internet, but the future of the internet. Now, I use the future of the internet because it's still a progressive technology. It hasn't really found its footing yet. Now, the reason why people tend to, or the word Web3 kind of was just coined in such a manner to follow something they call versionings. Or if we watch movies a lot, season one, season two, season three. So whereby season one is kind of like how something started. Then you get to wait for season two. Season two, maybe there might be a plot twist. The actor dies and... Yeah, people are waiting and expecting for something to happen in season three. And, oh, yeah, the new thing happens, the king dies or a new king is born. Now, bringing this understanding into the internet, it's a bit different, but I had to use what we understand to be able to explain what we don't necessarily understand so we find a common balance. Now, the internet started off as a means to display information. It's as simple as that. Um, information was shared by very, very high-level, high-skilled people, starting from the military, especially the military, to the government and to teaching institutions. Now, the internet transitioned into a more economical state whereby things were now used in the offices, I think later in the 80s, whereby now the internet was now used for more official purposes. So instead of just passing information, Informations were now being passed within um, confined spaces or within a particular sector. So, so let's say, for example, Aya has his industrial business, and I want to pass information from the CEO to the HR. You can actually do that. Now, information was passed a bit in a code manner. Now, only skilled personnel actually had the ability to write information on the internet. You don't get to type things as you like, oh, I just have a text that I type. You actually have to code it. Now, that encrypted code is what is now displayed to other people. So very specific people had the ability to add to the internet and everyone has the access to actually view. So it was more of add only by professionals, view by all. Okay, now, was that comfortable? Not really. What happened? People wanted, just like communication, communication has to be both ways. But this communication was one-sided. Now we needed to bring it to a point whereby the communication now is just established, not just an information I can read. Now, this is into started. Now, this is now where the internet evolved, where you get to start seeing things like Facebook popping up, Meta, I mean, okay, that's Facebook, the fangs, basically, social media. Now, what, that happen what happens was people wanted not just to see what happens on the internet, they also wanted to contribute. They wanted to also talk. I get to see something, I want to be able to give my own opinion. I get to see someone posting news, I want to be able to see if it's right or wrong, or what my what maybe my own feedback is, what I believe about this. So communication was established, not just information. Now people could actually talk, people could contribute to the internet, social media boom. People could now engage in the internet, people could create content, people could like, people could share. That's currently what we have now. 
So the internet we have now is a lot of us were not even didn't know about the old internet because we just were born and maybe raised into the new the newer evolution. You saw Facebook, you were always posting your pictures. You saw um Cora, you were always checking information, you were replying people. You currently have TikTok. You can actually post videos, video content. You have everything you have, Snapchat, things that actually help you keep the internet, you engage in it. But where there was a problem is that in as much as that's good, that's working for us, there is the problem of data breach. There's a problem of security and there's a problem of ownership. Now, this might not really be a lot to a lot of people. But some people don't really care. What do I have that I'm afraid of my information being protected? Or what kind of data breach am I afraid of? It doesn't really make sense to a lot of people, but it makes sense to a lot of people as well. Too. And watching how the world is growing and evolving, it would make sense to those people that it doesn't make sense to now. And now people decided to keep their information more private. I think that's one of the reasons why Web3 hasn't boomed as much is because the benefits or the supposed benefits doesn't look like benefits to a lot of people yet because they are currently comfortable with what they have and they're not experiencing those problems. But still, doesn't make them not be problems. Now, Web3 evolved from Web2. Now, it's still your internet, but now you get to not just contribute to the internet, you now get to own it. So just like a content creator that posts a video on YouTube, YouTube tells you after you have so and so million views, you get to receive this particular amount. You actually contributed, they pay you, but this time around, when you own it, YouTube doesn't collect maybe 70% of what you're meant to get and give you 30%. You have your entire funds. You're a TikTok creator. That's just in the financial aspect. Now, when it even comes to the normal fintech kind of sending money, you don't get to um, send money to GT Bank. GT Bank holds your money and send it to somebody and your money can get stopped. It's a direct P2P kind of fashion. So things are more decentralized. Things are more secured. Things are owned by you. Don't get to share your information. Facebook cannot collect your information and use it for political purposes or use it to sell to an ad company that is trying to advertise their product to you and disturbing and spamming you with crazy ads. You get to own your product. And that's what Web3 is actually pushing towards. That's why they call it the decentralized web. So I think I'll stop here so I don't get to explain a lot and get some people lost in the process. So... Thank you very much, um, Ice. You were really, really making a lot of sense. I mean, a, a part of the entire Web3 uh, win is that, that I didn't get in the first place is that people are just comfortable in Web2, right? You mentioned that they, they are very comfortable with where they are. They don't see a um, need to move. They, there is nothing that actually um, attracts them. They don't see the big difference between these and they're okay earning the percentage from creating contents and without realizing that you can actually do more by completely owning your contents it's it's your value it's you that you're putting out yourself out there but you need to actually you need to actually um earn exactly what you you give and i believe with um discussions like this podcast and even more um, personal research, people would be able to understand the concept be behind Web3 and be able to um, adopt it. So this brings me to the second question of the evening, um, challenges in Web3. So what are some of the challenges, aside the fact that people are just comfortable where they are? So what are the other challenges that you, you think is um, influencing or um, serving as a drawback to Web3 adoption? Was that question for me? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, okay, so some drawbacks with Web3. Um, there are a couple, but right off the top of my head, I think what I would think of for Web3 is one of the biggest problems that happened with Web3 was the manner in which it was introduced into the society. Basically, Web3 was easy, good technology, but it wasn't really centered around users and centered around users' needs. So um, it started off from the technological aspects, whereby they started building something that was 
beautiful, something that was strong, and something that was secured. Now, it, it evolved. But in the evolution of Web3, Web3 is not something that can't survive alone. It needs people to actually make it functional. Hence, they needed to bring in people. But in the quest to bringing in people, they were still focusing on the technology and not necessarily the user experience. Now, I will try not to use a lot of design lingo because this is not a design talk. So a lot of people here might not be product designers or UI designers. So um, I would try to be as clear as possible. But the cell phone technology, now business try to take um, benefits from it. And they start bringing up business incentives, trying to reward people for their acts. So it came from the point of reward and finances. Hence, one of the most popular Web3 products or protocols you can ever hear at the FinTech, the um, DeFi protocols. And I think recently, just the DAOs, the GameFi's, the DeFi's, the DeFi's are like the most popular because financial incentives were very heavy on it. And before they started gearing this towards trying to bring users on board, when they knew that, oh, even with the reward system, it didn't really cost that much adoption because people now were interested in the adoption. Now, there were two kinds of users. The people that were ready to learn whatever they needed to learn in order to make money from it. Desperate guys. Then the guys that were cool and were fine with where they were felt, oh, do you see this? This is for only smart people. I cannot kill myself. And they actually just chilled on it and decided to maintain and did their day in very simple Nigerian English. So the major issue was the manner it was introduced and it wasn't centered around users and users' needs and users' wants. It wasn't built with the users in mind. It was built with the technology. Hence, um, things might feel a bit too difficult for people. It might look like the technical know-how is very great. So there might be a lot of design and maybe technological jargons. All these, some people categorize them as different things. Technological jargons, I just categorize them in one as a breaking user experience. That's one. Two, people don't really understand what Web3 is all about. That's why it feels like the adoption is still a bit slower. Um, some people still see it as a scheme, as maybe a Ponzi scheme whereby people just come to like make money because a lot of people have actually lost from even the a reward system when it comes to like buying of tokens. So a lot of people came in just to buy tokens and leave and they actually lost when maybe the tokens didn't really do as great as. So their mindset or conception they have of Web3 is crypto, which is really, really off to, an, to a very large extent. So some people actually avoid it. Another problem we have with um, Web3 is about inclusive design. Now, the problem of inclusivity is that um, it's not necessarily a product or a platform that accounts for everybody there are limitations to which you can actually access Web3. So for example, for me to really access a Web3 product, you need to have a wallet. Now, a crypto wallet is not something that is easily created. Like you can easily just create a Gmail account and you have your email that you can easily just put in your email and password and login. And you're fine with it. A lot of Web2 platforms don't necessarily need you until maybe you're ready to like check out or do something. But Web3 gives you that requirement to connect your wallet this has streamlined a lot of people because some people don't, a lot of people don't have wallets. Now, they might not necessarily guide you in getting a wallet, just need you to connect the wallets that you already have. This blocks a lot of people. So these are like the three major things that really have reduced the adoption. First of all, the user experience is broken. The technical know-how feels great. Um, people see, people really don't understand Web3, so they might mistake it as maybe a Ponzi scheme or just maybe one big technology that wasn't come and go. Then while there's also a problem of like inclusive design principles being ignored a lot when it comes to like Web3. All right. Thank you very much for sharing that. I do agree that a lot of people feel that, you know, it is simpler to just create like a Gmail account, right? So your password and email and you're good, right? And the, the, the concept of private keys, seed phrase, wallet address, it will take a while for people to adjust to all of that, you know. And yeah, I, I agree that these are challenges in, in Web3 adoption. 
So moving on to our second speaker, um, I think we should hand over to the host, Larry. I'm sure you have questions for for our second speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Isa. Um, straight on to Groot. Um, we we'll just jump right into it. Based off the things that I said, just talked about. Um, in your own opinion, is the design process for Web three different from Web two? Right. Um, how, how different is it? Okay. Um, good evening, guys. I think I should do a bit of introduction as well, but I'll be very brief. Um, so my name is um, Augustine Wisdom, um, uh, formerly known as Goods, of course. Um, I uh, am a product designer with um, two years of, exp of experience, um, specifically in the um, Web3 industry. Um, I have a background in engineering, and of course, I have enjoyed um, um, a brief um, work experience as a project manager as well. Okay, so um, moving on to your question, if uh, the design process for Web3 is the same as for Web2, um yeah i think i think um of course it's uh, the same they there are a bit of there are similarities and some slight differences right so but the differences majorly have to do with that interaction with um, blockchain technology so basically it's uh, still the same thing all over again if you um grasp the con uh, fundamentals of um, the design process right so um basically you begin with the discovery phase where um, you get to uh, get information, uh, gather information, conduct your research, um, understand the user's need, the business goals, and um, of course, all of the technical limitations and everything like that. Um, so after that, of course, it's still the same thing. Um, you you um, go through the entire process that has to do with um, um, uh, the design process, basically. And then it also includes that process where you, uh, you test and iterate to improve on the final product. So it's basically the same um, core fundamental um, approach that you would, um, you would take if you were designing um, an application for Web2. But for Web3, the differences there is um, um, how it interacts with blockchain technology. For example, uh, there has to be a bit more education, like there has to be a bit more um, work put into education of users to educate users on how to use um, blockchain products because they are clearly new terms that they have to come to terms with. Um, things like, um, like Aisha mentioned, owning a wallet. Uh, before you can even make transactions with um, some of these Web3 products and services, you need to have a wallet. And of course, um, having a wallet is not just that simple because then um, you also have to be very security conscious. You have to make sure that um, you're keeping your wallet very safe, right? So um, how you begin that whole um the whole management process managing your keys managing um your wallets making sure you don't lose your asset people tend to just think oh okay i mean it's the same sign up process for web 2 right i just create an account and blah blah blah, blah. i just zoom through it and of course if i forget my 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 password i can always come back and um tell them to give me my password actually a lot of products in web 3 do not work that way so kind of finding the balance between um, Web2 and bringing in this whole part of Web3 with blockchain technology and finding ways to communicate those things to, um, to your users. It's, it just brings um, its own set of challenges as well with it. But essentially, it's just the same, uh, the same process, true and true. Thank you. Okay, awesome, awesome. So um, based off that, how, how easily do you think that um, Web two skills can be transferred to Web three. Is it difficult, right? Um, okay. Tra how is it, how easy is it to transfer Web two skills into Web three? I think it's it's fairly easy. Um, for design, for example, like I mentioned, the most important thing there is understanding the fundamentals of design in that case, and then also understanding exactly how. Um, well, you don't have to go into the nitty gritty too much, but yeah, the, the better understanding you have, the, the more edge it gives you in the market, right? But um, understanding exactly how blockchain technologies work, um, um, all of the different um, protocols and, you know, 
all, all of those terminologies, understanding them to a deep extent um, helps you um, in, that, in that space. So basically, whether you're doing designing or you're um, writing content or anything at all, you can always find a place in the Web3 industry, right? So those same skills, um, that, those same skill sets that you have that you utilize for Web2 products, uh, let's say you work in uh, um, just a, uh, say, uh, a digital marketing agency. If you understand uh, the con co uh, core concepts of Web3, you can also become a content writer, a content developer for Web3 companies as well. So this time, it's you who is doing the education, right? You're educating more people about blockchain technologies. So even if you're a developer, it's still the same thing. You understand, um, let's say JavaScript, for example, um, as a front-end uh, front engineer, you understand how to, uh, you know, your whole uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, TypeScript, and the rest of them. Uh, transiting to Web3 is not, is not difficult at all, as long as you just grab a few, a few concepts that has to do with blockchain, uh, blockchain technology. All right, all right. Thank you, thank you so much, Bruce. I say you did a great job um, breaking down the core idea of Web three to us. So, um, um, in simple layman terms and in as short as possible, um, what are some of the products that can be built on Web three? Mm, okay, I'll be as simple as possible. Everything you can build on Web two, you can build on Web three. Now, if you want me to go into specifics, because maybe when I say everything you can build on Web2 or everything you currently have on the internet, you can build in Web3, maybe it's a bit too overwhelming, I'll break it down. Now, we all hear about our bank apps or our fintech apps, basically. You have the GT Bank app, that's a bank app, it's still fintech. When you hear of Flutterwave or Paystack, those are all fintech services. Yes, you can do that also in Web3. That's what DeFi actually stands for, decentralized finance. Now, we are one of the most popular Web3 um, kind of platforms now that you hear a lot. I think it was trending a lot as of last year, and that was because of the rise of NFTs, and that's the NFT marketplaces. Those are other things you can also build on Web3. Now, that doesn't really, it's nothing really different from um, maybe your um, art gallery people come online, purchase your art. Now, there are twists when it comes to Web3, of course, because now there are things like ownership, there are things like royalty, but in the simplistic form, it's a marketplace. Now, just as you have social media, there are also decentralized social networks. Just as you have online gaming platforms, um, you can also build things they call GameFi. Things like um, where you can actually go, you actually connect your wallets, or you get started and you can actually play games and earn. So there are different things like <clears throat> there's your decentralized storage. I think one of the most popular platforms that I actually like is Filecoin. Filecoin just gives you an ability to save your um, your data, anything you want to actually online in a decentralized manner. Still the same thing you have when you use your Google Drive. So there are things like um, on-chain analysis tools when you start going into more complicated kind of Web3 products. Um, I think there's a product that is building, Deftify does a very good job at it. There are DEX tools. So now what those do is that for people that want to trade, because remember we talked about people interested in the coins aspect of Web3, the token aspect. They want to know and get such trends and updates. Yeah, you can actually do it on Web3. And those tools actually give you insights on how to like trade out stuff. Bringing that into your Web2 manner is what people do on Forex. Now, when I talk about Web3 a lot, I try to, because I got, sometimes I think I get tired when people get to not really understand Web3 because some people feel it. It sounds cool to confuse people and make things look complicated so it makes them feel smart. It boosts their ego. I like to downplay it a lot. So if anybody's angry, they should, sorry. But I'll be as simple as possible.
I checked it. I don't know if they've evolved now. But you get to predict different matches and you get to stick on it. Now, nobody really loses because now whatever people stake, the winners of the prediction or has the best prediction will actually win. They actually have that also in Oman Arabic. Now, there are things like DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Now, okay, now these ones are a bit trickier. Now, DAOs are just basically a collection of people that get to make decisions on companies, run-ins, or whatever decisions that need to be made and it's not necessarily made by one person. When we're in primary school, this was just what they call majority carries the votes, really. But this time around, we bring it in such a way that Web3 makes it that the decisions being made by a company or maybe a government or whatever collected body of people is not necessarily set and run by some few leaders is done by everybody in which everybody's input matters so there are a bunch of really a lot of things things like lending platforms that you have your compound you have your RV. it's still the same thing we do with baba maybe with um what do you call those things again no i think it's a bit different for agile it's still similar to what you have all this i really don't know a lot of all these lending apps but i know they annoy me a lot where you get to just see someone just tell you you have a friend called Michael. He borrowed this, 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 this from us, and he put you as a beneficiary. This one, trying to make your guy look like a criminal. I really hate how they put all those their messages, but that's talk another day. What they do by giving you money is the same thing they do in lending protocols. The only difference is that, yeah, their ways of handling things are a bit different. Because in Web three. You get to have your coins. You don't necessarily maybe give like a collateral. Your coins are the collateral. Then maybe you put your coins, you lock it in the protocol. Then they give you access to another coin. Maybe like, oh, crypto is dipping. I don't want to sell my Bitcoin or that. I'll run at the loss. I'll lend it to the platform and as a collateral, then I'll take USDC with a maybe collateralization level. Maybe I cannot take up to 80% of my initial capital. Or my initial put. When I spend it, if I want to return the money back within the vesting period, I put it back, I collect my BTC back. I did not lose in the deep. It's just the lending platform. Um, there are a couple like that, really. There are some more delicate ones. Like, I think there was a platform I saw that they get to reward people for by sharing your data. So the moment you start sharing your data, for every data you share, you get a particular token. So really, anything you can do on Web2, it e-commerce like Jumia, you want to buy and sell yeah, yeah, things, yeah. you can actually do it on Web3. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, I say. Um, Groot, um, let's jump into the core of design. What is Web3 design? And for the benefits of those who want to um, become one, in the, um in this space and in, in the podcast we're going to be sharing this for people that couldn't make the this meeting to listen to what is web3 design itself and what does it take to become one um okay um so basically since we've already dealt on the idea of um web3 what it is web3 design it's is just as simple as 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 the name describes it so it's just designing for the context of Web3, which is basically designing with the, uh, with the use of blockchain technology. Somehow you're infusing blockchain technology into um, whatever it is that you're working on. So if it's, if it's an application and um, it has components that has to do with um, anything that relates to blockchains at all, whether uh, they have some kind of um, loyalty points as um, tokens on Web3, on that, on, on a blockchain uh, platform, or um, whether it's a game with um, NFT NFT tokens as as uh, the actual actual game elements or game components, you are essentially building something that has to do with Web3, and that's basically what Web3 design is. And of course, it's it basically covers the entire um, uh, the entire uh, compass that has to do with um, um, design as well, uh, just that you are implementing blockchain technology with it. So basically, you also cover things like the user research. You still have to do um, your normal research. You still have to um, focus on creating 
um, user-intuitive and user-friendly interfaces. And um, actually, uh, uh, applications that um, has to do with Web3, uh, they, they have a new um, term for it. They usually call it dApps. So that's like decentralized applications. And the reason they are called decentralized applications is because um, uh, they are built on the on the proponents of, of blockchain technology. Um, the the control is not uh, uh, basically one not one in the, um, one com uh, corporation owns control. Control is uh, kind of like distributed um, across uh, maybe like uh, the entire community behind that product. So something like um, a platform I used um, a couple of years back, um, Steemit. Steemit was basically um, a decentralized social media platform, or call it a decentralized blogging platform or whatever. So basically, um, Steemit, there was no one company behind Steemit. Rather, it was sort of like, um, of course, it was designed by a group of developers, but um, um, basically everything that has to do with the proposals from um, how uh, it's been maintained, what are the roadmaps that they have to work on next, um, those things were being proposed on and um, suggested and built by the community. So that's one of the things that um, one of the things that Web3 design is. Web3 design allows you build um, those kind of products. And um, coming to the next question where you said, um, what does it take to become a Web3 designer? Um, essentially is, um, I think the first thing, like I mentioned earlier, is to get the, the get that fundamental pin down first. So you need to have a solid understanding of what user experience is. And of course, you need to be good with your visuals. That's uh, the user interface design as well. So uh, basically everything that has to do with creating wireframes, mockups, interactive prototypes, and all of that, you need to be um, well-grounded on that one. And then, then you have to add uh, your your understanding of blockchain technology to your designs now. So basically, um, I, I like to tell people that if you want to be a web trade designer, be a designer first, right? Try to understand how designs work, understand the principles behind design. And then, of course, delve into this whole blockchain technology space, right? Delve into the whole blockchain technology space, get the wallet. Um, maybe try out uh, try out your luck at getting one of these airdrops. Although all of those experiences kind of build your knowledge base on exactly how um, uh, some of the patterns that has to do with um, designing for Web3. So that if you are now a designer, you're now in the position of building something for Web3, you will not be confused with um, things like um, wallet creation or management of keys or um, why there is even why there is even cryptocurrencies involved in all of this somebody even asked me a question um i think yesterday I was saying bitcoin is a scam that he doesn't understand why um users uh, people have to um uh, basically manage expensive machineries and stuff like that and i had to explain um some of the concepts of web3 to him basically the the thing is self self-sustaining right those cryptocurrencies, the Bitcoin you're seeing today, are meant to be, um, they are basically reward a reward mechanism for people who are validating um, the blockchain. So the Bitcoin network kind of like rewards, rewards its participants by um, giving out Bitcoin to all of the, um, all of the uh, uh, block producers, basically. So uh, understanding the, the concept behind blockchain technology really helps build your knowledge. On, on how to become a web trade designer. Another thing that can help you is, of course, like I mentioned, understanding what crypto crypto wallets, key management, and everything that has to do with Web3 is. And then you need to you need to be willing to learn. That's another part because uh, this field, it's the, the whole space behind Web3 kind of like, um, it moves really quickly, right? Um, Today, you're hearing about a new product that is launching. And they, of course, they always come out and tell you that, oh, we are building the next best thing after sliced bread, right? Every, every product that, literally every product that comes out, they are building something maybe similar, sometimes with slight differences. So, of course, there are opportunities, but those opportunities need you to be, um, to adapt, to understand exactly what is required of you as a designer. So, yeah, those are some of the, the things that you need to um, have down. If you want to become a Web3 designer, you need to have the strong design skills, you need to understand blockchain technology, and then you need to um, adapt. You need to be willing to learn and to move fast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Groot.
I saw I said throwing some thumbs up and showing some love sign. I said very, very, very quickly because we are pressed for time. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, what it takes to become a Web3 designer? If you don't, you can say you don't. But if you have anything to add to that, very briefly, let's just add to that. No, I think I'm good. Um, he has actually done justice to it. So, so okay, I don't get sorry. to add more things to confuse people. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. Scarlett, do you want to take it off from here? Yeah, thank you. I was really feeling the flow from good sides. <laughs> so um, these, these are really great fundamentals for anyone who is trying to onboard the product design train. So um, over to you, Aise. Um, How do you collaborate with the product manager and engineering team? I mean, in general, we, it's something that we all see in um, organizations. There is always this issue with product managers and engineering and even marketing and CS, like it's one big war room. So how do you cope as, as a product designer with the product manager and their engineering team? How is it collaborate? What is the collaboration like? Um, okay, so this question is a bit tricky. Now, the reason why I would say so is um, so currently I've, I've worked as a designer, as a normal product designer or senior product designer, whereby your relationship is with the product, with maybe these product owners and maybe your line manager. And I've also worked and I'm currently working in a scenario whereby I'm more on the management team, whereby you are not just a designer for now, you are like, I'm creative director and I get to be onboarded in the management process and also trying to build up a product. So there are different ways to relate to this when you are in different factions, really. So um, I'll talk from um, being like just the general designer in a company. Now, it depends on the kind of company you are in as well. Too. So if I'm in a startup, for example, whereby there are fewer hands and maybe everybody is kind of like an owner of their own department for example so let's say you are the only designer in the company if there's no product manager you have a couple of devs you have the ceo who's trying to build his product you have maybe the cs team um collaboration is a bit dicier now most of those collaboration happens a lot when there's clear and established communication standards in the company. Now, communication standards vary. The way Flutterwave would communicate might be different from the way um, Paystar communicates. Might be different from the way, um, let's say, Bento communicates. Reason being that um, the cultural standards a lot sometimes in companies is greatly influenced by the founding members of the company. So for example, if um, for a product I'm building, um, because of my own experience with using some tools and with things maybe has worked for me over the years, I get to imbibe that knowledge and that culture in my team. And that kind of has to be learned across the team. This is where cultural fitness actually comes in when recruitment process happens. Well, let's say, for example, your company now is working with, let's say, tools like Slack. That's number one communication method for everybody. They get to work with product management tools like Jira. Now, there are other ones there is Bitbox. Um, there are other ones there is Asana, there's ClickUp. There are other tools there is Discord. But this is what they currently use. The first goal is to understand how to use those tools because you cannot really collaborate with any faction of the company without good communication tools and collaborative tools. So you need to be, it can even be something as simple as using WhatsApp really. Things must not really be that, but you know there is a limit to what you can actually do with WhatsApp though. But your understanding of your collaborative tools as a company is number one step. Number two step is having direct communication. You can have the collaborative tools, but you might decide to actually work in silos. Now, that might be a personal um, habit for some people actually lack good communication skills or collaborative skills. 
So working in silos doesn't really and never really does justice, especially when you're in a team. So you need to be able to communicate with them. You need to also be able to present your ideas as a designer. Now, ideas are good. They're always in your head. You had the best idea, you designed this out, but without proper documentation, the ideas would never be fully understood the way it was actually crafted by you to another person, no matter how in sync that person has been with you for years, because the person is not in your head. This is where good documentation comes in. So that I tell people when designing along the entire design process, try to document. It must not be one elaborative documentation. It should, can just be maybe some little scribbled notes on Figma, some notes on Notion. What that does in reverse is you noting down your process, what you did, and this helps to communicate with the other team members. It can be with the devs, how the flows of this platform works from this point to this point. They get to see it and they get to be able to understand what you are doing. Oh, the customer support team, how it actually like relates to the problems users are facing. Maybe the ideas or the pinpoints we're noting down, is this relating to the massive wave of support issues that tickets that they're receiving? Or the CEO, are you actually picking out or are you in the direction of his mission for this particular problem? So a good documentation gets to actually solve that. Then also as a designer, a clear handoff process will take your collaborative game from point A to point Z in a very easy manner. Now that's when you are a designer. Then when you are, um, let's say, on the more management or leadership kind of period, you're not just in charge of yourself alone, but you're in charge of other people. So little things like um, regular check-ins, little things like regular things, little things like establishing a standard and a conduct for example, you have different designers. Each people have different ways of actually handling maybe their documentation practices, their hand of practice, establishing a good standard that will not just be understood by them or be understood by the developers because it's communication. If you are speaking a language that the developers don't understand, they will not really be able to interpret it and do what you want. So remember, like I said, there has to be, your collaborative tools have to be learned. They must not necessarily, I know this, this is what I want to use. No, they have to be learned, even if you don't use it. If it's something you already know before, good. If it's not, you have to learn it. So also, when you set standards, the standards have to be passed across the team. They have to be learned before major implementations start going off. And this can actually be reviewed and be improved on as the team evolves, as new practices come up, and as people actually change, honestly. So um, I think from the top of my head, these are like the major things to actually focus on that can really, really help your collaborative processes in a company. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, gratefully, this call, this um, space is recorded and it will also be uploaded to our podcast platform for future reference. Um, thank you very much, Ice, for sharing that. Um, my last question will be going to Groot, but um, while we while we get the when we get to that, um, if you're on the call and you have any questions for our speakers or you have any contributions to make, uh, please please feel free to indicate and um, would unmute you and give you permission to speak. Um, so Groot, what does the daily calendar of a product designer look like? Uh, I've watched a couple of these TikTok videos where they they, they show themselves waking up from from the bed and they stretch and pick up a glass of coffee. <laughs> so what what does what does your day look like uh, as a product designer? How do you start? How do you end? How do you collaborate, etc. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I've actually seen a couple of those videos on TikTok and on YouTube as well, and. Um, I think people are naturally just drawn to, um, you know, some of those flashy things that has to do with um, a career. So it might not be really be the same experience for everybody, right? It, it basically depends on um, maybe the company you're working with, that if you're working with a company, or if you are designing as a solo uh, kind of freelancer or something. 
So if if your your day is basically shaped by these um, these kind of things, right? So if you're working with a team, um, what's their development process like? What's their process like? Um, are you required to have um, some kind of maybe scrum meetings like stand-ups? Um, what are some of the tools that they use? Um, of course, you have to be present if there are like uh, stand-up meetings. So my day typically is... Um, Okay, I think it it also depends on the stage of the the um the product uh, product development, right? So if I'm at that stage where um I have to um do a lot of interactions with um my users, uh, basically um the uh, people that represent uh, my user persona, right? I I would have to um set up calls with some of these people, um whether they are clients or customers or whatever. I'll have to set up calls to um, communicate with them to better understand their needs. Um, I would also have to set up calls with the engineers as well so that I could communicate um, some of my ideas with them, right? And then if, if I'm at that stage where I'm uh, basically prototyping or I'm working on the visuals, then most times I'm, I prefer not to be bothered. I'm just um, uh, on my laptop working on the visuals using the design tool. I mostly work with Figma. So that's an important part of my day, especially um, uh, now at this point uh, with the project I'm currently working on. Um, of course, I also make out time to uh, do a bit of self-development. I think it's really important. But generally, uh, the, uh, the kind of, uh, the experience daily is not is not the same for everybody, right? So don't don't mind all those videos; they are different. <laughs> all right. All right, I will not mind the videos. Thank you for sharing, Groot. Uh, just quickly, um, Isaac, can you just um, tell us a bit about your day as a product designer? All right. Um, so my day as a product designer, let me think. Eh, yeah, everybody expects the whole, like Groot said, the whole, you wake up in the morning, I get a glass of coffee, I stretch my legs out of the bed, then I say to myself, today's going to be a good day. I open my Jira board and I get to see um, 50 Jira tags. I look in the mirror, I smile to myself and I say, um, you're an amazing designer. I open my laptop, I open my wired ass monitor and I carry like five design screens and I start typing like on my keyboard really, really fast. I wear my glasses, my eyes keep looking left and right. And I feel good about myself. And I stretch my legs seven hours later and I'm done for the day. And I come back, take on that coffee. And you watch too many American movies. So the truth is that it's it depends on what you like. It can be a very boring life, it can be a very interesting life. Now, um, without being on a very biased note, I'll give you my own day as a product designer. So I wake up in the morning. Most times when I wake up, I don't want to wake up. Because if I wake up, work has started. And I don't want to work. Honestly. Maybe I'm tired. I worked. Maybe I actually sleep very late. Because I'm kind of... I have like a nocturnal personality. So I'm more productive at night. So due to that fact, I get to work till like very late hours of the night. Maybe around 4 a.m., 3 a.m. And because of the time zone I work in, so I work in the Eastern time zone, which is six hours ahead. So I get, my body has actually adjusted to it. So waking up by, let's say, nine o'clock in the morning, I am pissed. Like, I am not happy to wake up because I know, ah, maybe if I had the pending job I'm doing the previous day, I'm already tired. So it starts off with, ah, man, another morning. God, I'm pissed. Before my body gets into sync and I'm like, okay, no problem. I get to like drink a glass of water. It, okay, occasionally, I go to the gym like three times a week. And um, what happens is that when I get to like home back, my day might maybe practically, the day I go to the gym starts around 11. Now, when I actually start my day, what I do is, I try to keep track of my to-do list. I usually tend to write a to-do list on my phone to be able to remind myself of what I'm meant to do and check through like my product management tools, things like Jira and ClickUp. Now, what that does is that it helps me structure out my day. Now, it depends on if you have like 
multiple things you are doing. You can have maybe a job and a pet project or a job and a gig or some people that have two jobs. It's fine. Now, what I do is I tend to work based on the level And I can forget about time for a very long time. Bad habits, I forget to eat until maybe late in the afternoon. If I'm working on maybe some visuals, maybe I have like a task I'm meant to complete and it's something visual related, I'm more fun to be with. I can actually just be with, I, I listen to music a lot. So I have like an account on YouTube music. I get to listen to music a lot while I'm working. Then I can be chatting. So people that are on my WhatsApp, they get to see the misbehaving side of me. I post a lot of memes. Pull memes, run back to design. Pull memes, run back to design. That's kind of my own escape, basically. Then I work for a bit till, let's say, roughly 3 a.m., 3 p.m. I get to take like a one hour, a one hour nap. That kind of gets me like going through the remaining part of the day to have like energy to keep on doing what I'm doing. Um, I have a bunch of meetings. The meetings differ depending on the day. Fridays are the worst. Fridays, I have maybe almost cumulatively eight hours worth of meeting, nine hours worth of meeting every day on Fridays and Tuesdays. So depending on the meetings, I mean, the meeting, amount of meetings, then once I'm done with my meetings, I think I get to relax a bit. Between like 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., try to catch up on socials a little bit. Maybe go on Twitter, like some tweets, go on WhatsApp, reply some people that feel I'm snobbing them so that they don't break my head later, especially family members. Then reply some friends, try to catch up a bit on my social life, and yeah, continue like that till late hours in the night, maybe until around 12, 1 to occasionally I can really make some phone calls within. Just put on your airpods and make some calls while you're working. So it depends on the kind of thing I'm doing. The days I'm on research mode, I am all locked out. I rarely make calls, I rarely chat, but the days I'm on UIs, I'm a bit more flexible. So that's kind of it for me. Amazing, amazing. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> so we all know it's not the TikTok thing. Those are just basically social media contents. And um, we have a question from the best Ibrahim. Uh, would you like to quickly um, ask a question? You can unmute your mic. Um, all right. Thanks. Um, good evening, guys. Um, thanks so much for the talk from both Groot and Ice. Um, all right. So, yeah, as a product designer, I could relate to a lot of what you guys were saying. And I'm not really into the Web3 thing because I, I wasn't a fan of it and I've never been a fan. But more like I am because as a design I'm like a futurist. Like I always look at what's the future opportunities in, in um whatever technology I'm working with. So more like my question is, what? Uh, so many times we've heard that Web three is not here to take opportunities from Web two, and Web three is just here to further to make more opportunities. So like, what is the future of Web three compared to the future of Web two? Yeah, that's my first question. Um, would you be directing it to one of the speakers or both? Um, any of the speakers, any of the speakers. I don't okay, know. I think Aisha was allowed to respond. Aisha, would you like to take that? Um, okay, so the future of Web3. Now, it's, I think, for you to ask that question, maybe you didn't really understand a lot of what we are talking about in some aspects. And maybe you might have dealt with how we explain things. So, it's not really the future of Web 2 or Web 3. There's no individuality when it comes to, oh, this is Web 2. This is Web 3. It's an evolution. It's just like how people move from horses and chariots to cars. And they move from cars 
to wherever they are going to move to. Web 2 is not a different entity from Web 3. Web 3 is just a more evolved state of Web 2. Evolution, when it comes to things like security and data privatization and decentralization. So things in the Web 2, the reason why they just coin it as Web 2, Web 3, so that you can be able to differentiate them because of the large differences when it comes to their functionalities and their probably the way you actually relate with them, their user experiences. So that's why, and their kind of features they have, that's why people tend to like, it had a very major differentiation. Really, everything on Web2, it might not necessarily happen in the next one year or two years, but they are all transitioning gradually into a more decentralized manner. So might not fully adopt the wallet yet. So might oh maybe merge with some companies that will have. It's all a growth process. So it's not like oh there are now two different kinds of internet. There's web two internet. There's it's just an evolution. Evolution starts from somewhere, and transitions into um, something else. It can take the next ten years. It can take the next fifteen years to stabilize. It can take the next twenty years to stabilize. Quality transition, just like how nobody talks about Web 1 again, really, because oh, everything has transitioned into Web 2. So the internet is not just what you see and you read only, and you can now you can contribute. Although there are still people that go to some sites who just read only, but it actually transitions. So it's how Web 3 and everything is also going up. It's not really a different faction. There is no difference. There's no one side is Web 2, one side is Web 3. It's just an evolution that has that some companies have started off and the world is actually coming to that point. Okay. Um, I think I would like to I would like to contribute to that. And um, I'll just basically ask a rhetoric question. Um, circling back to my example of um, using NFTs as game assets. Um, Ibrahim, would you rather... Um, uh, uh, let's say okay let me first of all give you a background of this story so i there was a particular game i used to play a few years ago actually a long time ago um, clash of clans i think that was the name and um, on this game you basically um you start with a small village and then you build and you develop your village into um something really strong and reinforced so that other people cannot attack you successfully and steal your um your assets like some of your gold and um uh, you know, all of those in-game uh, assets and stuff. Now, um, I, I stopped playing that game for a long time. I think I, I didn't play it for like up to three years or so. And um, when I tried to get back in, I discovered that the same email address that I used to create that account, it did not exist anymore. Yeah, it, it was as if um, due to my inactiveness and everything, it was just basically wiped out. You know, something like that. They probably have it in there in the terms and condition. I did not read the terms and condition. A lot of people do not. So because of that, I lost all of that progress, which took me about two years of, of, of you know, gameplay, two years of my time, so to speak. So um, now coming to Web3, um, a, a Web3 model of that kind of game would be using NFTs, using blockchain assets for um, some of those in-game items. And then so those in-game items would be owned by you. So basically, as NFTs, they are represented as tokens in your wallet, a wallet that you control. So as long as the game is still on, as long as the community is still thriving, you can always come back to those game assets. If you spend actual money on those assets, maybe to upgrade them or anything, um, coming back after three years, you will still find those same assets there. And what's more, if maybe the prices of those things has, has appreciated, you can sell them off and get back maybe even more than what you invested. Now, if you compare those kind of products, um, would, you rather, would you rather stick to, um, let's just say the experiences are the same, right? So um, forget that um, at this current stage, um, Web3, Web3 design and everything is still um, in its nascent stage. So a lot of things are developing, are still working on the patterns and everything. Um, would you rather would you rather um go for um that uh, web 2 kind of game or would you rather go for this one that i just mentioned that has um, some of these blockchain components 
because I I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you can actually benefit from it. So if your answer is yes, definitely you'd rather go for um um the the other game I talked about that has Web three um, components to it. That's basically um what Web three products are. They're actually like a step up in terms of ownership and control from what um Web Web two products are. Thanks. All right, thank you very much for that very clear explanation. I'm very sure it um, answers Ibrahim's question. So um, we are grateful to our speakers for making our time and um, sharing their knowledge on Web3 um, product design and giving us clues to building the best and a very usable Web3 products. So it's great to see that there are a lot of product designers and I'm very, very sure that we've learned a lot about this and it will be very helpful to us. So this podcast will be uh, uploaded to our podcast channel. You can check out the uh, bio of the AYA accounts. You would find the, the link tree um, link where you, it would lead you to our podcast um, accounts. Um, you can listen to previous uh, podcasts and, of course, this one, it will be uploaded to that site as well. And you can re-listen to it and the the knowledge and the gems that have been shared here will uh, remain evergreen. So thank you, Groots. Thank you, Ice. Thanks to the speakers. Thanks to my host. Thanks to everyone who um, attended and stayed until this time. Um, see you in two weeks. All right, guys. Thank you so much.